Right, as we come to read from God's Word, usually I pray, but I want you to do something for me as we come to read from God's Word. So I would like you to pray in your hearts um, before we read from Colossians chapter 3 and chapter 4. If you are a Christian, this is what I'd like you to pray. Lord Jesus, you gave everything for me upon the cross. I want to live for you in everything that I am, in everything that I think and everything I do. So that's if you're a Christian, that's your prayer that you're going to pray in your hearts in a moment. And if you're not a Christian, then I invite you to try praying in this moment. And what I would like you to pray is, Lord, would, if you're there, would you just reveal yourself to me during this time? So let's a moment of quiet for you to pray. And then I might pray again anyway. And then we'll read from God's word. So just a moment of quiet. Lord, speak, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. None of us in this room, no one watching online, has fully appreciated how good God is. Not one of us have fully appreciated just how good our God is. He's so good. He's the creator of a magnificent, glorious world. And it's easy to be full of joy when the sun is shining like it is today, praising God for his creation. But he's an awesome creator. He, in his goodness, has lovingly knitted you together. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. He's the giver of salvation. He gives an everlasting inheritance to all who believe in Christ. He's not only the giver of salvation, he's also the one who won salvation, Jesus Christ. God himself coming to earth and dying on the cross so that whoever believes in him might have forgiveness for their sins. And then rising again in glorious power, defeating death so that all who believe in Christ live eternally. God is so good. He's the giver of the gift of the Holy Spirit. God with us, dwelling in us right now. And in that short list, I've only just touched the surface of the goodness of God, barely scraped the surface of just how good God is. And this morning, I'm really hoping that God will enlarge your understanding and appreciation of his goodness. Maybe for the first time, you would truly believe that God is good this morning. Now, do you know that God's goodness extends not just to giving us salvation but also teaching us how to live life. Do you know, God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to have life to the full. And so God, in his goodness, doesn't just say, hey, here's salvation, now get on and do it. He doesn't, he doesn't I've, just, I've saved you, now you can do whatever you want. No, he's, he's so good, he says, here's salvation, now let me show you and teach you how to do life, how to do family life, how to do work life, how to pray, how to build relationships with other Christians. That's part of his goodness. The instructions in scripture is not God being harsh and horrible and judgmental. They're instructions given to Christians because he loves us and he wants the best life for us. He wants us to live life to the full. That doesn't mean life will always be easy, But it does mean that God loves us and he's so good that he wants to teach us how to live in all these different spheres of life that we operate in. 
And that's what the end of Colossians is all about. Um, so I'm going to read to you Colossians 3, verses 17, all the way to the end of chapter 4, 4, 18. And this is God teaching his people how they are to live in different spheres of their life in order to live for the glory of God. So Colossians 3, 17 um, to 4, 18. And thanks, guys. It's on the screen behind me. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Lympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfil the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So this morning, verse 17 is our headline. Whatever you do, in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, everything we say should be done or said to honour Jesus Christ, following him because he is our Lord. He is the Lord. And as Christians, we say he is my Lord. And so we do everything in his name, word or deed. And so just 
And actually, not only do we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, but we also do everything in thanksgiving to God the Father, according to verse 17. So everything done in the name of the Lord Jesus and everything done in thanksgiving to God the Father, who has been generous to us, who has shown his goodness to us. And so as I begin, before I get into specifics, I want to ask you to examine yourself. Think about your life. Is everything you do and say for the Lord Jesus? In every part of your life, are you living for Jesus? In your family, in your work, in your fun, in your um, relaxing time, in your prayer life, are you living for Jesus Christ? And in all those things, are you filled with thanksgiving because of the goodness of God the Father in your life? Now, just for a moment, maybe think of one of those areas of your life. When was the last time you were filled with thanksgiving because of your family? Or when was the last time you thanked God the Father because of the work that you do, your workplace? Or when was the last time you were praying and you are going, just thank you, Lord, for, that I get to pray to you as Father? What a gl- are you filled with thanksgiving in every area of your life? Are you living for Jesus in every area of your life? Because that's how Paul ends this letter to the Colossian church. He says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and do everything filled with thanksgiving to God the Father. Now let me talk about different areas about how you do that. So he talks about family life. He talks about the workplace. He talks about prayer and he talks about honouring other Christians. That's what he does at the end of the letters. He just talks about all these other Christians who he's been working alongside, who have blessed him. And he's saying to the Colossian church, you know, if you see them, welcome them because they have been a great encouragement to me. And so we're going to think about those four areas of life, our family life, our work life, our prayer life and our honouring other Christian life. That doesn't quite fit in the four. But anyway, um, let's think firstly about families. How do we live for the Lord Jesus How do we live in the name of Jesus in our families? And in verse 18, Paul starts by speaking to wives. Just a quick note, husbands, um, Paul isn't speaking to you in verse 18. He says wives, he's talking to the wives. He's not talking to you if you're a husband in verse 18. And I'll give you a piece of advice as a husband. If you ever decide to quote verse 18 to your wife, you're probably not onto a winner there. I don't think you will be very successful. So actually, as a husband, in a sense, you just to jump on to verse 19. You're to leave verse 18 because this is Paul talking to wives. When he says wives, it is fitting in the Lord... It is right in the eyes of God for you to submit to your husbands. It is right in the sight of God for you to find joy in serving him, in in seeing his will as important and trying to fulfil his will. In Genesis chapter 2, Eve is created as a helper to Adam. That's the the word that's used to describe Eve as a helper and that's not a derogatory title because the Holy Spirit is called the helper. God himself is called the helper so it's not a a negative title to be called helper but Eve is called a helper in in Genesis chapter 2. She is equally valuable in the eyes of God. She is also created in the image of God. God says male and female I created them in the image of God. She is equally loved by God equal in value in every way and yet with a specific role to play within the marriage. She is, she's been created to be a helper to Adam within that marriage. And in a sense at the marriage altar, 
as a wife, as a bride, this is what you vow in the presence of God, to be a helper to the man you are choosing to marry. Now, Paul says this is fitting in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands. So, it, so this instruction in Scripture doesn't just mean that it's about your relationship with God and, and your overflow of submitting to the Lord Jesus influences the way you live, but it also provides very good and wise limits. It is fitting in the Lord for you to submit, which means if your husband asks you to do something that is not fitting in the Lord or is not in any way related to God, then you say no, that's not fitting for me to do. It's not fitting for, you're asking me to sin, you're asking me to do something wrong, so it's not fitting in the Lord, and therefore this, this verse no longer applies in that particular context. Now, you might now be picturing a marriage where a husband barks orders at his wife and the wife does absolutely everything he says without question. But I, I don't think this is at all the marriage picture that Paul is trying to paint. Um, for Rachel and I, we make decisions together. We actually rarely disagree on the path ahead when we've chatted things through. And we did have a brief conversation. I was trying to think of really specific examples in which I'd led and Rachel had submitted. And actually, most things we just work together on. So in general, we work together on these things. And I think for Rachel, I perhaps don't want to put words in her mouth, but I have spoken through a little bit with her what I'm about to say. But for Rachel, um, this verse is about day to day having a heart or an attitude of wanting to help me in whatever way she can. And I, and I think every wife can go, yeah, I've married someone. I, in, in my heart, I want to have this attitude of wanting to help my husband in whatever way I can. But the most obvious example in our marriage of me leading and Rachel submitting is, um, is church planting, to be honest, um, where God spoke to me very clearly and called me very clearly to church plant. And Rachel was behind me in the journey, in a sense, and, and kind of listening to me. And, and we weren't married, actually, at the time. So Rachel was going, do I even want to marry you? And I was going, yes, you definitely do want to marry me. Um, but we, we, what's happened, essentially, as, as I've led into church planting, Rachel, not unwillingly, but filled with joy, has gone, well, this is what God has called you to, Duncan, and so I'm with you every step of the way. And I think certainly the people who've been part of the church, maybe not over the last six months because she's been away, but certainly before that, Rachel's thrown herself into the church plant with joy, serving in loads of different ways. And that's really been a form of submission, not that she hates the church and doesn't want to be here, but that she, she's followed me in that sense and lovingly served the church with joy. And I think that's the best example I can talk about in terms of how our relationship in marriage has worked. So wives, God in his word calls you to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then he immediately turns to address husbands. And verse 19 is, of course, is equally, if not more important in what Paul sees in, in the world of marriage. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So if your marriage is a husband barking orders and wife doing everything, in, like not loving, but oh no, I've got to do, no, that's not right because that's the husband just being harsh and just, he just shouldn't be barking orders at his wife. That's completely wrong. He should be loving her and not being harsh with her. And of course, our model for love in the church is Christ upon the cross. 
That's our model for what love truly looks like. And in, in Ephesians, Paul also speaks into this theme and he unpacks and he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So husbands are called to love their wives by laying down their lives to serve her. That's, that's what husbands should be doing. Can you just picture that marriage in your head? Maybe it's your marriage, but the husband just completely self-sacrificially laying down everything that he is to love and care for his wife and the wife joyfully and willingly submitting and serving and, and doing what she can to help him. That is a wonderful, wonderful marriage. And that is what Paul is unpacking here in these two verses. So husbands, this verse is for you, verse 19, love sacrificially, love unconditionally. Christ did not die for us while we were being fantastic people. He died for us while we were still sinners. So husbands, you're to love your wives even when she's being a complete nightmare. Hopefully she's never a complete nightmare, but even in those moments, you are to love and show love over and over again. My wife is never a nightmare, um, just so you know that. Um, <laughs> she's wonderful. But you, even when she's at, your, at her worst, husbands, love your wives unconditionally in words and deeds and in your hearts. You know, so often... In our sin, we can be selfish and demand harshly of those around us, including our wives. And if you're sat there as a husband thinking, actually, I've not loved unconditionally. I've been harsh. I've demanded. I've expected. Well, now is a moment to confess and repent and know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life. So as husbands excel in love... There are also instructions for children as well. In verse 20, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you are a child, you can please the Lord by obeying the instructions of your parents. It's great that the youth are in the room as I preach this. I hope you're listening. Youth, obey your parents. This pleases God when you do that. I want you to think that next time you're given an instruction and you think, I really don't want to do that. Is this a moment to rebel and reject my parents' instruction? Or am I going to please the Lord in this moment and do the thing that I'm being asked to do? And let me tell you, in this church, I know that your parents absolutely love you. So they've probably got good reason to ask you to do the things that they're asking you to do. So children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases God. Finally, in verse 21, an instruction to fathers. Don't take advantage of your godly children obeying you in everything. Do not provoke them with harsh or unwise or unfair instructions, but let love and gentleness and kindness be shown in the way you act as a father. I can, I, only, I can only imagine, because we don't have children, but I can imagine there are temptations as fathers to in anger, provoke your children or to, to be harsh with them. Of course you love them, but there are moments, aren't there, I'm sure. But this instruction is don't provoke your children. Keep loving them. Keep showing them kindness. And as you give them instructions, do it because you love them. And do it because you care for them. In fact, I actually just want to stop and pray, actually, in this moment. Pray for our families just very quickly. That this picture of how to live for the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father in the family would really be lived out amongst our families in this church. So let me just pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift that our families are. 
And I pray that love, which is at the centre of this picture, would be at the centre of our families. I pray you would equip wives and husbands and children and, and fathers and mothers to live and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father in everything as well, Lord God. I pray that our, our family life would be places of worship to you in the way we conduct ourselves. To help us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, secondly, Paul begins to speak about workplaces. And so the next thing I can preach on is, may what we do in the workplace be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, full of thanksgiving to the Father. Look at um, chapter 3, 22, to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's speaking to bondservants and masters. And in other sermons, I've preached about um, slavery and the Bible's action to slavery. So I would send you a link if you really want to know what I've said about that in the past. But what I want to do is apply these verses to employers and employees, um, because I think we can appropriately apply these verses to our workplaces. So employees respect the authority of your bosses. Obey their instructions. Not because they're going to see you and think you're a fantastic employee and give you a wage increase or give you a promotion, but do it as part of honouring God. Don't be a people pleaser, Paul writes, but fear God. It should come from a place of loving God. And so even when your boss's eyes aren't on you, which I imagine as more people do more work from home, that happens more often and there's a greater temptation to just do whatever you want and not work hard, Those are moments when you can please God by working heartily for your boss. Jeff has already challenged us this morning about integrity. And, you know, we think God gives us something to do. We need to have the integrity to do it. Or or we say we're going to do something. We need to have the integrity to do it because that honours God. And it's the same in the workplace. Christians should be the the very best employees. People should love employing Christians because they know they can trust them, that they're always honest, and they will always work with integrity and always work heartily. I do love that phrase in verse 23, work heartily sometimes as Christians you might maybe you think this sometimes sometimes as Christians you can think that secular work doesn't matter or is unimportant you ever thought that about your job that this doesn't matter well that's not what God thinks God thinks your work really truly does matter and every moment you work heartily you are honoring the Lord Jesus Christ your true Lord you know your boss isn't your Lord is he Jesus is your Lord but you work for your boss because in honoring your boss you are honoring the Lord Jesus Christ that's what it means to work in the name of Jesus Christ in the workplace you are serving the Lord Christ that's what Paul writes And Christ is the one who gives reward and punishment when he comes in glory. Sometimes I worry that when we when I preach, perhaps, or when we when we have church, because we emphasize on overtly spiritual things. Sometimes we talk lots about prayer and we talk lots about Bible reading. We talk lots about sung worship, you know, the things that seem overtly spiritual. Sometimes I worry that we give the impression that everything else that goes on in your life is completely unimportant. And I pray we would never give that impression because that's complete and utter nonsense. Most of you in this room will give a third of your day, a third of your life to the workplace where you work 
And God deeply cares about you in that moment. It's not like he just leaves you. All right, you go to work from nine to five and I'll see you when you get back. No, he is with you there in the workplace and you have an opportunity in the workplace to honour him with the way you work. Heartily work. Do it with a heart of worship for the Lord. It comes from the heart. It's not just outward, external, trying to please the boss. It's, I love God, and therefore, even though my boss isn't working, and this might feel like, I maybe, I don't know, I don't want to insult anyone who does a particular job, but maybe you're doing data entry, and you're typing things in a spreadsheet, and it can get boring sometimes when you do that. Every line on that spreadsheet is a moment to work heartily to honour the Lord Jesus Christ as he sees what you're doing. Every line on a spreadsheet, glory to the Lord Jesus in heaven. I apologise. I can see a couple of people laughing and I apologise to people smiling who do that a lot. I used to do that a lot in my job, write things on Excel spreadsheets. So, um, so that's a way of glorifying God. But whatever you spend your day doing, work, work heartily and honour and worship Jesus Christ. Be encouraged that God cares for you in that moment. Now, chapter four, verse one, speaks to you if you are a boss, if you are an employer or you manage people. And it says, lead your employees using God's leadership as your model. In my, in my business, um, when I worked in digital marketing, they started talking about servant leadership a lot in the workplace. Do you know that's Jesus introduced servant leadership? That's his idea. That's what he modelled when he came to earth. And the secular guys are suddenly catching up 2,000 years later. Um, but that's, that's a Christian model of work, is that employers, bosses, love their employees by serving them and seeking them to thrive. And so if you are a boss, if you manage people, show servant leadership, show kindness to your employees and and lead them justly and fairly. Just like the father's not to be harsh on his children, the employer, the boss, is to be just and fair with his or her employees. So living for Jesus impacts family life, impacts work life, and maybe I've, I've prayed for family, so let me pray for your work life as well, actually. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our jobs, which are gifts from you, and we pray in our jobs we would work heartily for you. Every moment, even when we're doing the boring things, Lord God, we work heartily for you because you are our Lord and you're watching over us and we want to worship you in our jobs. I pray we would know your presence and your love and your empowerment as we work in our jobs. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So living for Jesus impacts our family life. It impacts our work life. It also impacts our prayer life. Have a look at verses two to four in chapter four. And I particularly want to emphasize verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So consider how you pray. Are you steadfast in your prayers? Are you someone who prays once a month? or once a week or are you someone who sets aside time regularly to pray and then in your family life and in your work life and in everything you do are you praying to God continue steadfastly in praying but consider also are you watchful for answers when you pray so you can be full of thanksgiving you're to be watchful in your prayer life with thanksgiving as a consequence of 
writing this sermon this week, I've picked up journaling again and thought, I haven't done that for a long time. And actually, I'm not being watchful in the way I pray. I'm praying for things, then forgetting that I've prayed about them. And therefore, I'm not ready to go, God, you answered that prayer. Pray, th- thank you for what you've done. I think it's, help- it's helpful for me anyway to write down the things I'm praying for, the non-Christians who I'm praying to see saved, the, the people in this church who I'm praying for in particular ways, the things, the miracles that I'm asking for, all these things to write them down so I can then go back and go, hey, God answered that one and that one and that one. I need to thank God instead of, I I need to spend my prayer time just praising him and thanking him for all the way he's answered my prayer. Or that one, he hasn't yet moved in that one. I'm going to keep praying steadfastly into that one because he hasn't yet answered that one. Maybe you want to think about journaling the things you're praying about. That might be helpful. But even if you don't journal, you must be watchful in the way you pray. Watch for God to respond to your prayers. He's our Father in heaven. He loves us. He's not going, oh, it's another one from Jason. Oh, I don't want to listen to this one. Let's just get rid of that. No, oh, Jason's praying. I'm going to respond to this. And it's the same with each and every one of us. When we pray, God listens and he's going to respond in his wise, loving way. And so we should be watchful in our prayer life with thanksgiving for his amazing answers. In fact, actually, I was reading um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with Jason this week, and Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, I want you to pray for me, and the reason I want you to pray for me is so that when the prayers are answered, we can all rejoice in God together. Isn't that an amazing thing for Paul to write? Like, I want you to pray for this because I know God's going to answer them, and when they're answered, we're all just going to celebrate and party and be filled with thanksgiving. Let's be like that as a church. Let's share our prayer requests with one another so, and then pray into everything together so that when those prayers are answered, we all rejoice together as a church. In your family life and your work life, devote yourself and be steadfast in prayer. And when we're watchful, let's not just be watchful for thanksgiving, for answers to those prayers, but let's be watchful for opportunities to pray as well. What is God doing now and in this circumstance? How can I pray into that? Jesus said when he walked the earth, I I join in with what I see my father doing. And Christians should be the same in our prayer life. How's the father moving? What's opportunities? Where does God's love need to shine forth more gloriously? Those are the places I'm going to pray. What's God? I'm watchful for opportunities to pray because I love to pray and, and give things to God my father in prayer. And Paul asked specifically for prayer for himself in those verses, doesn't he? Pray that God may open a door for the word. I think we should be praying daily that God would open a door of opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And he also says, when that door opens, pray that I would speak with clearness and clarity as I ought to, as I ought to speak. Sometimes when we have life group and we ask, has anyone got any prayer requests? It's always awkward as a leader when people are like, oh, no, everything's just fine in life. <laughs> and you go, yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes I'm guilty of just going, no, I'm fine, don't have anything. But actually, this is something that we can always be praying for, isn't it? I've got a friend who I'm seeing next week. I would love for a door of opportunity to be opened that I might share the word of Christ. So next time you're in a prayer meeting and someone says, has anyone got any prayer requests? Or you're in a life group and, and you're going, no, my life's absolutely brilliant and I don't have anything for you. Well, maybe this is what you can pick up. You could be like Paul and say, pray that a door of opportunity would be open for the word of Christ and that I would share it clearly as I ought to. So we've seen 
how we can do all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Doing things in the name of Christ impacts our family, impacts our work, and it impacts our prayer life. What shall we then make of verses 7 to 18? This end of the letter where Paul gives lots and lots of names and speaks about them. And I think the primary thing we take away, these verses are magnificent, by the way, I'm not doing them justice this morning. There's lots we can take out of them. But as a, as a general overview, the primary thing we can take away from these verses at the end of chapter four is doing Christianity is working in a team and honoring your teammates who you work with. When you're doing all in the name of Jesus Christ, you're not a lone ranger who does everything in your own strength by yourself, but you are surrounded by fantastic people who are also doing the same thing, living for the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying at the end of this letter, I am part of a brilliant, brilliant team. There's Tychicus. He's my fellow servant in the Lord and I'm sending him to you and he's going to encourage your hearts. He's probably the guy carrying this letter to you. He's going to come, he's going to read my letter and he's just going to encourage. And I'm so glad I get to send him because he's brilliant. He's fantastic. There's Onesimus, who actually used to be a slave, by the way, who Paul freed. So he's a slave who's been given freedom and he's now being sent with Tychicus to Colossae to do ministry together. So Paul's sending two of his best guys and he's saying, welcome them, love them, they're going to they're encourage you, it's going to be brilliant. There's a guy called Aristarchus who can't come to Colossae because he's in prison with Paul. And there's a guy called Mark who once, do you know Mark once left Paul in the middle of a mission? Paul was going on a mission and Mark went, no, this is too dangerous for me, I'm going to duck it, I'm going to disappear. And so Paul loses trust in Mark, he doesn't want to bring Mark on, a, on his second missionary journey. He says, Mark, I don't want you to come, I'm going to go with someone else instead. But now they've been reconciled and Mark's been doing fantastic things with Barnabas and elsewhere. And Paul's saying, Mark's back in the fold now, I, um, I want to commend him to you. There's a guy called Jesus, who goes by the name of Justice. I imagine he was called Jesus and then felt, oh, I feel really awkward about being called Jesus. So can you call me Justice from now on? And Paul says about him, he's a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. These are, these are men working together, doing apostolic work amongst lots of different churches. So they're not, they're not like me, employed in one church, a pastor of a local church, but they're going to different churches. They're going to Laodicea, they're going to Colossae, they're going to Ephesus, they're going to Corinth, and they're working amongst lots of different churches. They're getting to know the people, preaching to the people, teaching them, showing them how to live. And they're working as this fantastic team, honouring one another. Then Paul talks about Epaphras. He says, he's one of you. And he, he's clearly a great prayer, isn't he? In this, this passage, he's getting down on his knees. He's working in prayer and lifting up the Colossian church. What an encouragement for the Christians at Colossae to hear about Epaphras. He can't stop praying for them. He's just so ambitious in his prayer, always praying for them. He talks about Luke the gospel writer who wrote the gospel of Luke, the doctor, the ph physician. And he mentions Demas as well. All these people send you greeting. They all love you. They all care about you. You matter to them. Talks about Nympha. She has a church who meets in her house. I mean, what an amazing lady. She's opened up the doors of her house and church come in every day to gather. Or, I don't know whether every day, but at least every Sunday, they come and gather in her house and do church together. And she's presumably this person gifted in hospitality. She's making drinks for everyone. Tea and coffee is just her kitchen as she serves all the people coming into her house for church to happen. 
love to know more about her, but she's part of this team. The glory of God, the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed because of all these people working together. And at the end, he gives a charge to Archippus. And again, we're not given much detail here, but all Paul says is make sure he fulfills his ministry. He's got to fulfill his ministry. He's, he's been given something by God where he needs to show integrity in doing the thing that God has given to him. Paul says make sure he's fulfilling his ministry. This is a team described at the end of this letter. Paul is honouring his fellow Christians and we are a team. We're not individuals who go and do our work life by ourselves, who go and do our family life by ourselves, who only pray alone. No, we are a team working together, praying for one another. I want to know about your challenges at work and your challenges in your family life. And I want to pray for you. And there are other people in this room who want to know what's going on in your life so they can pray for you. You know, if Monday morning is difficult for you because you're filled with temptation to just completely ignore God and do nothing in the name of Jesus Christ and you're not filled with thanksgiving to the Father, then share that with someone so that we can pray for you that the Holy Spirit would just meet with you in that place and fill you with his presence in an amazing, amazing way. We want to honour one another as well. You know, are you like Paul saying, hey, this person's fantastic. This person sends you a greeting. I'm sending this person to you because they're going to they're encourage your hearts. We should be like that as well, encouraging each other, honouring each other, bigging one another up to each other because God has given everyone in this room fantastic, fantastic gifts in the Holy Spirit, wonderful ways of honouring Christ. So let's honour each other as this team. I don't know whether you've ever seen a football team just start to lose and then lose it with one another. You know, sometimes teammates fight on the football on the pitch because they get angry with each other. I used to be part of a team that was a bit like that when I played as a teenage boy. There used to be this guy who, every time we went down, just started shouting at everybody else on the team in anger. It was everybody else's fault, normally my fault. I'd made a mistake and he used to shout at me at what I'd done. And slowly the whole team would just disintegrate and fall apart because, because we were just losing confidence. We were, we were discouraging each other and falling apart. Well, that's not what the church should be like is it we should be encouraging one another building each other up working as a team and telling each other about the great things that we're doing because of Jesus Christ in our lives it seems just like a list of names at the end of this letter in some ways but actually it tells us so much about the relationships that should be growing and forming within the church so brothers and sisters teammates this is what I want to end with saying whatever we do in word and deed, let's do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, filled with thanksgiving to the Father. In our family life, may we be full of God's presence with submission and love and obedience, all working together in the family unit to the praise and glory of Jesus. And let our families be places full of thanksgiving for God the Father's generosity to us. In our work life, Let's work heartily for Jesus Christ, even when we're not being watched. In our prayer life, let's be prayerful and uh, faithful, watchful and thankful. And in our church life, let's be part of the team, honouring each other, praying for each other, working together as we grow in doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus and full of thanksgiving to God the Father. So I'm going to pray. And we've got a bit of time left, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move some people around. Let me pray, and then I'll move some people around for us just to do some responding. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these instructions in the end of this letter to the Colossian church. 
And Lord, I pray you would help us live these things out. Jesus, you gave everything for us upon the cross. You gave your body. You shed your blood in order that we might be forgiven, in order that we might be saved. And so we want to we say, use us, Lord. We want to do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, just as you've given everything for us in response, not by way of repayment. How could we ever repay you for what you have done for us? But just because we love you and we know you are a good God and a good Lord, we want to do everything in word and deed for you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we don't want to be grumpy, moany people. We want to be full of thanksgiving to God the Father who has blessed us in all these different spheres of, of life. So Lord, I pray you would do that in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd bring conviction now in hearts where there are areas of life that need to change. I pray you bring encouragement that you care about all these different areas as well, Lord God, and you would help us live for you in everything we do, word and deed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.